Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, my name is Jesse and I'll be your conference operator today. At this time, I'd like to welcome everyone to the Agnico Eagle Second Quarter Results 2020 Conference Call. All lines in place on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you'd like to ask a question during this time, simply press star then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to withdraw your question, press pound key. Thank you. Mr. Sean Boyd, you may begin your conference. Thank you, operator, and, and good morning, everyone, and welcome to our second quarter uh, 2020 uh, conference call. Uh, prior to getting into the slides, uh, just be forewarned, we are um, presenting forward-looking statements in this presentation, and there are two slides which go through uh, the disclaimers on forward-looking statements, so uh, please, at your leisure, read those. Uh, what I'd like to do is, is talk a little bit about uh, Q2 and how we've managed uh, through the pandemic, but focus more on uh, how we're positioned going forward, what the emphasis will be on our business in terms of uh, driving a free cash flow and using that to reinvest in the business and uh, increase our dividend as we move forward. Um, as you know, it has been a challenge. It's been a challenge uh, for everyone. Uh, from a business standpoint, um, we had seven of our eight mines were impacted either with temporary shutdowns or with significant uh, reductions in our activity levels at those mines due to uh, COVID-19 and the fact that in some of our jurisdictions, mining was not considered an essential business. We were uh, fortunate to be able to restart uh, those operations earlier than we had expected. Uh, we continued our dialogue with the governments in our respective regions on our safety protocols and how we were positioned to restart and keep our employees safe. And in both in Quebec and Mexico, uh, both of those governments allowed the mining industry to restart uh, before many other industries. So that allowed us to ramp up and get things moving quicker than what was in our original plan. Uh, as we've said before, the number one priority for us was to uh, ensure that our employees were not only safe, but they were comfortable, their families were comfortable with our approach. Also, our communities were comfortable with our approach, and we used some unique, um, our team uh, put some unique ideas forward, particularly with respect to testing, and that uh, just added an extra layer of comfort and protection, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, we closed Q2 strong, we started Q3 strong, and as a result of that, uh, we expect to have a strong second half in terms of production, declining costs, and also free cash flow generation. Uh, it was important for us because in a lot of the meetings that we've had over the last few months with uh, investors um, and analysts, the, the question was always, well, how much is it going to cost to manage through the pandemic in terms of uh, impact or costs on, on putting mines on care and maintenance, but more importantly, going forward, what was that going to do to your productivity? What was that going to do to your uh, unit costs? And um, on page five on the slide in our press release, we've broken 
uh, those uh, down and we've given you the accounting treatment. So uh, in the quarter, we incurred a little over $22 million. Uh, roughly $8 million of that was uh, strictly the care and maintenance cost at those operations where we were on temporary suspension. Uh, we had an additional $14 million roughly, uh, which were our payroll costs for employees that uh, we temporarily laid off uh, during uh, the COVID. Uh, those amounts of $22 million were not included in, in our unit costs, either cash costs or all in sustaining costs, and we did not uh, back those out of uh, earnings in calculating our adjusted earnings. There's been differing treatments uh, in, the, in the industry. Uh, we've chosen to leave them um, uh, in our earnings calculation and not back them out for adjusted earnings. Uh, but I think it's more important to focus on the cost going forward. Uh, in the quarter, we had $2.3 million in costs uh, around increased hygiene and screening and testing. Um, those were uh, factored into our unit cost calculation and we didn't adjust our normalized EPS for them. Uh, as we look forward, I think there was a couple things uh, in terms of moving parts. We do know we have additional expenditures uh, to continue with the protocols around screening and hygiene and testing. Uh, our uh, number for that is about a million dollars a month, which amounts to about six dollars uh, per ounce in additional costs. And uh, that's a number that um, the market's certainly been interested in for a number of the companies. Uh, that's where our number has landed. Uh, we view that as not significant in the overall picture, but we've also been able to, because um, of our unique situation, having to reduce employment levels at seven of the eight mines, and in some cases drastically reduce employment levels. On the restart, we reintroduced employees in stages. So we gradually reintroduced employees, and that allowed us to get a pretty good feel um, and match our employment levels and headcount levels uh, against our uh, productivity and our production levels. And we feel that um, there's going to be some cost savings there in terms of the total headcount, particularly on the contractor side. So it looks like we won't have to call back as many contract workers as we had uh, prior to the pandemic, which uh, we think is a bit of an opportunity. Uh, we do have an additional cost of $1.4 million per month. One of the things that was done early on is that in Nunavut, uh, the communities are at high risk uh, for COVID-19. It was important to ensure uh, and protect the communities that we had to separate our operations from those communities. As a result, as you know, we sent our Nunavut workforce home. They are still at home. Uh, we want them back, but we want them back when they're comfortable. Uh, we believe we have a safe environment for them to come back, but we are still in discussions with the Nunavut Public Health Authorities, the government of Nunavut, uh, uh, local uh, government, uh, community leaders on when is the most appropriate time to bring them back and ensure that the communities remain protected. Um, so there's no set timeline for that, but as we say, we continue to work with that. We have backfilled that workforce with some additional contract workers and some seasonal workers to help us manage while our none of it workforce is at home. In terms of second quarter highlights, we produced a little over 330,000 ounces, which is a bit more than we expected uh, when we started to um, see the impacts of the virus. There was a lot of uncertainty around the restarts. Uh, 
our costs were higher on a unit basis because of producing less gold in the quarter. Um, but going forward, we'd expect those costs to come down. We'll talk about that. Uh, we tightened up our guidance. Uh, we increased the lower end of the range. The guidance is now for the full year 2020, 1.68 to 1.73 million ounces. We had a fairly broad range uh, when we revised guidance at 1.63 to 1.73. And, and we needed to do that because we were still in a period of a lot of uncertainty. We really weren't sure at that point when we were going to be able to restart and how quickly we were going to be able to ramp up. Um, now we've gone through the second quarter, so we're comfortable tightening, tightening up that range and increasing uh, the lower end of that uh, range. Um, in terms of uh, full ear guidance, uh, or going out into 2021 and 2022, we left that the same. Um, and what that means is second half of this year, we expect to produce between 480 to 500,000 ounces per quarter uh, at declining costs. In the next year, a little over 2 million ounces, which puts us about 500,000 ounces per quarter. And beyond that, over 5,000 ounces per quarter as we continue to ramp up. Uh, we uh, continue to declare our dividend of 20 cents a share. Uh, we'll certainly look in the third quarter at uh, revisiting that, and um, given our track record of 37 years of consecutive dividend payments, um, and given the free cash flow generation, I think um, it's logical to assume that over time that dividend continue to go up. Also in the second quarter, I think it was important uh, that to, to note that we did receive some critical permits in the quarter. Uh, we received a permit to increase our processing rate in Finland to 2 million uh, tons a year. Uh, we received the permit at Meadowbank for the IVR open pit and for the Amaruk underground. And we also at Meliadine uh, received approval to double the amount of water, uh, saline water we can discharge to the sea. So those were three important permits uh, that we were anticipating and we did receive them in the second quarter. Um, in terms of the ramp up, you know, we did talk about the, the faster ramp up in the previous slide. Um, as we said, we got uh, able to restart earlier in Quebec than expected, about two weeks earlier. Uh, we got to restart in Mexico um, about 12 days earlier than uh, we had expected. As a result, we, we closed the quarter strong in June, um, and that allowed us to uh, gradually ramp up. And in July, uh, we're over 160,000 ounces of production, so that sets us up uh, for a strong second half, uh, as we said. On an operational update, I'm not going to go into individual slides, although they are in the slide deck, but as we go through the next series of slides, I'll touch on each of the operations. At Laurent, uh, prior to the onset of the pandemic, we had completed the planned infrastructure upgrades um, in the West Mine area at Laurent. We were actually developing in the West Mine area before we had to reduce activities there. We have been mining in the West Mine area in the second quarter, and we continue to see higher grade than uh, we had forecast in the block model, which I think is important um, to see that realized as we mine out those areas. Uh, we're expecting in the second half to average about 8,500 tons a day from the Laurent complex, about 3,000 tons of that from LZ5. About 12% of the tonnage uh, will be sourced from the higher grade West Mine area. At Meliadine in June, our uh, throughput in the mill 
exceeded 4,300 tons a day. We had always talked about uh, 4,000 tons a day as the level that we needed to achieve. Uh, we beat that in June. Uh, in the third quarter here, we will uh, replace the repaired apron feeder. So to reach 4,300 tons a day with the repaired apron feeder uh, really speaks to the success of those repairs. Um, we will put in a new unit in the third quarter. We will upgrade the um, filter press system and other components that will allow us to go to 4,600 tons a day in the plant in the fourth quarter of 2020. I think what's also important is we've been able to pump out uh, the third mining horizon at Meliadine, which was always in the plan. Those are higher grade areas, and that's set up so that we can start mining in those higher grade blocks um, in August and uh, September and into the fourth quarter. We did make reference to um, our water discharge at Meliadine. We did get approval to double uh, the discharge limit at Meliadine. We're doing that by truck in the third quarter. We can continue to do that by truck going forward, but our, we feel strongly that the best solution is a water line. Um, so we're moving forward with the process to get the water line permitted. That's gonna involve a lot of community discussion. Um, one of the concerns that the community would have about a water line is does it impact the ability of the caribou to move? They had that initial concern back in the early days of Baker Lake, back in 2007. And it was pretty evident pretty quickly once the road was built that the caribou were not bothered by the road and they, they easily crossed the road. We think that's the same thing with the water line. In a 35 kilometer long water line, there's 70 crossover points for caribou. Uh, ultimately, if we need to uh, cover the entire water line, we'll do it. Um, so longer term solution, eventually we'll get it approved. But in the meantime, we can continue with trucking uh, the water at Meliadine. At Meadowbank, we made a lot of progress, even though we're at reduced activities, uh, to catch up on the backlog of maintenance. And you can see that in the results in June, uh, where we mined uh, over 110,000 tons of ore and waste per day. Our target, as you know, was 100,000 tons um, of ore and waste per day. The mill restarted in late May, which is a couple of weeks uh, sooner uh, than we had uh, planned. Uh, the mill is currently running in excess of 9,500 tons a day, both from the mine ore and from existing uh, stockpiles. Um, in the balance of 2020, we expect higher grades between two and a half and three grams per ton, which um, uh, helps with our production in the second half and helps us to achieve our increased production for the second half. And as we mentioned earlier, we received the permits um, for the Meadowbank complex to uh, mine the IVR open pit and the Amur underground. At Kitsila, that was the one mine um, where we were able to operate our plant continuously through the quarter. Um, we also received an important permit there, allowing us to um, uh, move forward with the expansion in the processing facility to 2 million tons a day. Uh, we were impacted with our shaft sinking because the Canadian, uh, the shaft sinking crew was Canadian. Uh, they were brought home uh, during the pandemic. They've now been allowed to return and resume shaft sinking activities. We did continue on with the other construction uh, related to that expansion pro uh, program. Ultimately, uh, we believe the future at Kitsila is uh, beyond 2 million tons a day. Um, and that's why we're thinking about the opportunities we may see 
to increase the mining rate there. We've had some good exploration success there. I'll talk about that in a minute. As we step back and look at our production profile, uh, we see our graph. Uh, we've gradually increased production over time. Um, we're now pushing on that sort of run rate of 2 million ounces a year. Uh, we expect to exceed that in 2021 and beyond. We continue to work our project pipeline. Uh, Kitzel expansion's under construction, so is Melodine Phase 2. Amaruk Underground is in planning, um, was delayed due to COVID. Uh, we're working on ways where it will not impact our 2022 uh, production number. Uh, we think we can be successful doing that in terms of timing. And I'll talk in a minute about uh, the opportunity at Canadian Malarctic uh, Underground, which is an important project. Exploration has become, uh, continues to be a major focus here, but I think what we've learned in the last 12 to 18 months as we've said before, is there's still a lot of potential left uh, in these mature mining camps, whether it's La Ronde, uh, whether it's Malartic, uh, or whether it's uh, Kirkham Lake. Um, as we mentioned at Kitsila, it's a very long life asset. Uh, we continue to drill that deposit. Uh, we continue to intercept um, ore grade material uh, beyond the current uh, resource limits. So we're gonna continue uh, to uh, probe at depth, and that's been a big part of our success. We don't mind drilling deep drill holes, simply from the perspective we'd like to know what we, what we own uh, for planning purposes. That was the same story at Canadian Malarctic Underground. The reason East Goldie was found is because we were attempting to drill a hole about two kilometers underground. That was the target, uh, tracing the uh, plunge from the old East Malarctic Underground, and we hit the East Goldie. Uh, deposit. We've got 10 drills currently working there. We've expanded the program to increase the, the drill meters by uh, almost 20%, uh, which is important to gather information uh, on the potential size, but also tightening up the drill spacing and improving our confidence um, in the East Goldie deposit. It's the East Goldie deposit that makes this underground work. Uh, without that, um, even at these gold prices, Odyssey and the East Malartic side uh, was still low grade. It's now the volume and the number of mining horizons and the potential to make this a large uh, tonnage underground mine that East Goldie introduces. Uh, we certainly combined with Humana Nico have the skills to understand uh, what we own and what steps need to be taken to optimize it and turn it into a meaningful part of our business. We're doing that now. The first stage of that, as we said, is to increase our drilling. We're working on a, a preliminary economic assessment, which we expect to be ready in early 2021. And the initial work on an underground exploration program, which is essentially the ramp, um, we're gonna begin that uh, this quarter. Uh, so we've taken important steps to uh, move that project forward. And essentially what that will do is extend the mine life uh, at Canadian Malarctic and have the potential to extend it uh, for many, many years. Kirkland Lake, another uh, old mining camp, we continue to drill Upper Beaver. Uh, it is a mine. Uh, the question is, is where do we stage it in our pipeline? Uh, we continue to drill and we continue to assess the economics. We have now um, started to drill more targets along that land package, including amalgamated Kirkland, which is uh, close to the boundary with Kirkland Lake Gold. Um, so we're interested to see what uh, those drill results return. In Mexico, we continue to get high-grade uh, results at the Amelia deposit. It's going to need some more drilling. 
the team is focused on uh, completing those drill programs and then updating a study on the potential at Santa Gertrudis. And I'll just uh, add Laurent here. Uh, we continue to drill uh, both LZ5, the old Bousquet Barrack property, to the west of Laurent. Um, our intention there is to ultimately mine out several hundreds of thousands of more ounces there. And we're also drilling to the east of the main Laurent ore deposit where we've picked up massive sulfide mineralization over the last several months in the 20 north uh, zinc south lens. Um, so that continues to be a focus for us uh, on the exploration front. On the operating results, we talked about most of these mines, but I'll talk about Goldex here. Goldex was actually doing extremely well prior to the pandemic. It was exceeding its budget, um, getting very good productivity from uh, the rail there system, uh, getting good productivity in the high-grade south zone. We expect as we move through this year to be able to increase the mining rate in the south zone. Uh, we expect more production coming out of Goldex in the second half. So the team has done a really good job optimizing uh, that asset, generating free cash flow. At Malartic, we've talked uh, about the underground potential, but the uh, mine during the second quarter actually uh, did extremely well in terms of ramp up. In May, the monthly tonnage milled was 64,000 tons a day, so that's a record. Um, and we have to congratulate the team because they did produce in the second quarter their 5 millionth ounce since the mine started. So that's a tremendous achievement in a short period of time. There's a lot more ounces to come particularly as we look at the underground, but um, there's a top-notch team there that's doing a, uh, a really good job maximizing the open pit and now looking at the opportunity to extend the mine life with the underground component. In Mexico, the focus continues to be on advancing satellite opportunities, whether it's Sinter or Cabiro at Pinos Altos or Chipriona at La India. But I should also um, you know, give our thanks to our Mexican team. The mines are in a region where communities have been hit uh, fairly hard uh, with the virus, unfortunately. Um, and uh, I think what that has done is it's allowed our, our teams to uh, really be helpful in the community. Um, and what we've been able to do and what the team's been able to do is we've brought in additional medical resources and medical personnel to help the communities. We have the logistics, we have better medical facilities in some of the communities. Uh, we're in a better position to respond and our team has done an exceptional job of working together with the communities to help them deal uh, with the pandemic in the communities. Our screening program has been effective. Um, for the most part, we've been able to screen out employees prior to getting on site. We've had some that were asymptomatic that did uh, pass through screening. We isolated them immediately. We're using rapid testing, um, followed by the detailed testing after. So the testing has been a big um, factor in our ability to manage uh, through this. Uh, as I said earlier, our team did an exceptional job implementing testing in April in Nunavut. We now have a test facility in Quebec at Val d'Or, which basically pre-screens and pre-tests every employee we bring up from the south into Nunavut. So by the time the plane arrives in Nunavut, um, we have the test results essentially. And if all the tests are positive, all the employees are released to work on their 14-day shift. So I think using testing, um, the highlights for us was uh, early adoption of testing, the fact that our team thought about it and were able to execute, and the fact that in the regions where we've been, uh, we found ourselves in a strong position to help the communities and uh, our team have really stepped up and, and done that. 
Uh, just quickly on uh, financial highlights, um, even though the quarter was down from a production uh, standpoint due to COVID, we did have uh, good earnings and good cash flow generation. Uh, we expect uh, the, all those numbers to improve as we move through the second half. Um, we did draw down a billion dollars on our credit line um, as the pandemic uh, struck, uh, just to be extra cautious. Uh, we have now fully repaid the billion dollars that we had drawn uh, on the credit line. We've made reference to the dividends. I think it's important to note that over the last six years, even though we were in a heavy construction period and the gold price averaged around 1200 we increased our dividend in each and every one of those years. Uh, we raised the dividend in February of this year, uh, given where the gold price is and given our, our uh, uh, growth trajectory in terms of production, uh, we would expect uh, that dividend to continue to increase as we move forward. So just to, to wrap up, we talked about our ability to manage through COVID and get make sure not only were the employees safe, but the assets remain properly positioned to, to uh, manage and deal with some things that we had to get done, largely in Q1 and a little bit into Q2. We successfully did that. Uh, which sets us up for a strong second half and uh, a strong 21 and 22. Uh, and again, renewed exploration focus where we feel we can continue to add a lot of value on some of our mature mines. There's still good opportunity there. And those are high quality ounces given they're at existing mines, not only near physical infrastructure, but near uh, our skilled workforce who's demonstrated a track record of being able to add value. So. Operator, uh, that's the formal part of our presentation. We'd like to open up the lines if you could um, and take questions. Certainly. Again, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star then one on your telephone keypad. Again, that's star one to queue for a question. We'll pause briefly to compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from Ralph Perfetti with 8 Capital. Your line is open. Hi, uh, good morning, everyone. Um, good morning. John, I'd like to ask two questions, if I may, please. Firstly, um, what's your gut feel on how big Kitala can be? You talked about sort of the sweet spot being above the 2 million uh, ton per annum rate. Um, maybe you can give us some context around what you're thinking, how big the investment can be, and, and is this going to be sort of a, a larger high grade or a, or a larger low grade deposit um, compared to what we see now? Mm hmm. Uh, our sense is that we're just taking it a step at a time. I think that it's pretty clear that um, we bought it initially um, for 150 million Canadian uh, when it was a little over 2 million ounces resource because we expected it to get bigger. I think the reserve and resource roughly 8 million ounces or so. Uh, we've mined over a million ounces. Um, we're in the middle of that program to get to 2 million tons a year. Uh, we started at around a million tons a year, I think, so we've doubled it. The challenge we always had was to try to match the production rate with the size of the ore body. It's an anomaly, as you know, in Scandinavia. Most deposits tend to be around a million ounces. This one will likely mine out at maybe 10 million ounces because it's still wide open. Um, it's still growing. Um, so I think our next level uh, our team um, is now starting to think uh, beyond 2 million tons a day. I think a logical next level could be 2.4 to 2.5 million tons a day. That'll take a few years, 
but we're already in the initial stages of uh, thinking about how that could be done. As we drill the CISAR zone at depth, maybe that opens up another mining horizon for us to allow us to increase the mining rate. So it's still early, but given the size of the opportunity, the fact that we've been staging investment um, over a number of years to increase uh, capacity there, um, I think that was the right approach. And we'll continue with that steady sort of measured approach to maximizing what is a, you know, a, a strong geological asset for us. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, um, Sean, will we see from East Goldie uh, more drill results before the year-end 20 reserve and resource statement comes out? And, and maybe just a, a broader question, um, given the care and, and the due diligence and, you know, you're doing around all these operations, um, when it comes to reserve and re resource replacement, how are you guys shaping up as you bring back the full capabilities of the exploration program? Uh, okay, we'll start with the East Goldie. Uh, our plan is to have drill results come out with the Q3 results. Um, exploration activities were suspended in Quebec uh, for actually longer than the production activities were suspended. So we weren't able to drill things like La Deep and uh, the targets at uh, Canadian Malartic Underground. So that's resumed, as uh, we've said in the release, with 10 drills. So. There's certainly lots of information that will be available to us prior to the end of October when we put out our Q3. So the expectation is that we will put those uh, results out. Um, and then the plan is to update the, um, the resource in uh, February um, to put out a PEA at some point in the first part of 2021. But uh, our sense is, is that we'll have to make a bigger decision for the overall project, which would include a shaft, and we'll have to make that decision based on resource. We won't have uh, or won't be in a position to have drilled it all off uh, to the levels of a reserve. Um, we're comfortable doing that uh, based on what we know, we believe. Uh, we think the, um, the drilling now, uh, where we tighten up the spacing, will increase our confidence level to be able to do that. Uh, we've done this a number of times. So I think what we're seeing in East Goldie is thick and higher grade with a higher grade core. Uh, it's still open. So I think that's what we're facing in terms of decisions as we move forward. Uh, that's why we're not rushing it. Uh, we're taking this a step at a time, but I think it's important. Um, I think the man and Ignico both recognize now that it adds a lot of value because you could have potentially a significantly sized underground mine from a tonnage perspective that would extend the life of Canadian Malartic for a long time. Um, so now it's to sort of put our collective experience together, uh, try to work it into our own respective pipelines. Um, it's clearly our priority given the potential here and that's how we're gonna work it. So that's gonna require us to regularly update the market on our thinking um, which we're in a position to do as we go forward. Reserve resource replacement, another question. Um, I would expect we're working uh, on a number of areas where we believe we can convert a resource to reserve. We had a slight decline this year, but it's not just drilling, it's completing studies. Um, it's a great question because we spent some time while our drills were down talking about strategy around what resources do we need to put to work in the second half of the year uh, to make up for that lost time of drilling. 
but also to ensure that we get the studies done on a timely basis to move resources to reserve. We're confident that we can, at a minimum, maintain what we have. Uh, hopefully we can grow it. Um, this isn't a prediction, but we're, all I can say is the plan is designed to ensure that we get, uh, we, we pick up the pace of drilling in the second half to make up for the time we lost in Q2, and we're well positioned to complete the studies we feel we need to get completed to convert resource to reserve. What the final number is, you know, we never know, um, but I think we're well positioned. Okay. That's great, John. Thanks. Your next question comes from Jackie Prisblowski with the BMO Capital Markets. Your line is open. Thanks very much. I just wanted to um, to ask, I guess, another exploration question. Uh, the results that you put out on the uh, on the zinc deposit at Laronde uh, look look fantastic. I know it's still very early. Uh, I guess more strategically, um, how do you guys think about zinc in your portfolio? Is this something that you'd be comfortable um, mining yourselves and, and having in your portfolio longer term? Absolutely. Um, at one point, uh, our friends at Barrick uh, years ago, when Agnico was 50% zinc revenue and 50% gold out of Laronde, and we were happy to take that zinc because we were selling it at $1.50, my friends at Barrick used to see me at conferences and say, how's the zinc mine going, Sean? Uh, so we have a history of zinc. We've made a lot of money at zinc. We've used the money we made at zinc to build a gold business, partly to build a gold business. Um, so we'd be really comfortable with that. Uh, we hope it's a sizable uh, lens. These things are lenses. Uh, it's relatively near infrastructure down there. It would certainly give us flexibility. Uh, the NSR value of some of these holes is very high. Uh, so it's not a surprise. We, you know, it's something we're used to seeing. Um, and I think that the, the fact that we've hit something, I think just reinforces the fact that we have to continue the systematic drilling. So what we've decided to do is focus more drilling there. Ultimately, um, do we need to extend the ramp eastward? to give us a better platform to drill below three kilometers as we move to the east and potentially move on to the adjoining property, which we own, which used to be barracks called El Coco, because that wasn't really drilled at depth uh, at all. Uh, as we move to the west, barrack on Bousquet never really drilled that at the depths we're mining at Laron. So there's lots of potential there. And really what you have is you have a very well a wide felsic package of rocks um, which run through that belt, and there's still lots of open areas which haven't been drilled. So it's our job over the next few years to ensure we keep drills turning uh, to see what we have there. Because uh, it's not only the physical infrastructure we can leverage off of, it's the skill set that we have in place there. So that's part of our strategy. That's great. Thanks very much, Sean. Your next question comes from John Tumazos with John Tumazos Ferry Independence. Your line is open. Congratulations on the good times. <laughs> Thank you. Um, as you go forward, um, how do you plan for 2021 or investment decisions, uh, whether it's you know, I'm probably not $1,200 gold from two years ago, but you probably aren't using 1950 for today either. And how do you plan vis-a-vis -vis 
health protocols and manning. Clearly, if you have less people at your site, it spreads less virus, and that's a great advance. Thank you. Um, I think we're assuming that um, most of the protocols remain in place. Ultimately, I guess there's a vaccine possibly or there's an effective treatment, and if that occurs, then I'd say face coverings go away and testing goes away. But I think uh, hygiene and the focus on hygiene and, and possibly screening, I think, probably stays um, going forward. I think the way we've looked at this strategically, not knowing whether there's a second wave or whether um, we stay at an increased level uh, going forward, what we tried to do in the second quarter is um, get to our governments who made a call that mining was not essential. Um, and the fact that we were able to open up early or or mining was able to open up early. I think the, mine, the, the governments in those regions have concluded that mining can operate safely because there's a lot of natural physical distancing. Uh, the governments got very comfortable with our screening and hygiene and testing procedures. So I think that was part of the equation. And part of the reason for doing it was um, the unknown. Um, if there were more cases in the regions we operate in, we wanted to be able to um, make the strong case that mining was essential to be able to continue to operate. I think we've done that, and I think the fact that we've been able to open up uh, earlier than other industries is a testament to that. But I think in our dialogue with the governments, the governments have said to us, um, they've congratulated us on uh, the methods and procedures to keep our employees safe in the communities, uh, things like sending the Nunavut workforce home, uh, the extra testing. Um, but they've also added that they have concluded that mining will be important going forward because of the economic damage done to large parts of the economy. And I think they've concluded, as all of us have concluded, that mining, particularly gold mining, can be very profitable, which means we're paying a lot of taxes and we got a lot of high-paying jobs. So I think we've made the case that we can continue to go. As far as investment decisions, as we look on out, I think there's a few things there, and that's sort of the number one question we're getting is, um, so is the industry going to uh, have a better result this time versus 12 years ago or so when gold ran and we didn't deliver the margin expansion? Um, there's a couple of keys to that. One is, uh, one major difference is the fact that we're not seeing the input price pressures we saw 12 years ago across the board, um, probably due to um, a lack of activity in terms of big projects in the resource space. Uh, and we're also, uh, we're not in that position where 12 years ago, the gold price went from sub 300 to over a thousand in a short period of time. And the industry made a strategic mistake where they kept calculating reserves, as you know, at a higher and higher price every year, which saw a dramatic dilution in the quality of their businesses over a short period of time. Here we are now as an industry where we've had a relatively stable reserve price anywhere between 11 and 1300 for a number of years, which means the base on which the mine plans are built to deliver the margin expansion over the next three to five years is pretty solid and conservative. So it's up to the industry to maintain that conservatism in terms of um, the reserve and resources, and we're at 1200, um, so we're not going to be tempted to go a lot higher. Um, so I think for us, it's 
uh, focus on free cash flow generation, stay disciplined, work our pipeline in a measured fashion, but be mindful that, you know, the price level is good. Uh, let's continue to explore. Let's continue to uh, understand what we own. Uh, let's continue to look at early stage opportunities, which we could bring into the pipeline. So there's no real significant change in how we think about this. Um, it's really about how can we continue to be a high quality business uh, that can continue to drive per share value. We were asked a question today, the fact that, you know, did, did it matter to you uh, that this week your stock went through $100 Canadian um, and that you've hit an all-time high in Canadian dollars and that other companies have not returned to all-time highs, does that matter? And I said, well, it really only matters from the perspective that it actually reinforces that the strategy that we put together in the late 90s when we were single asset, 50 million in revenue, uh, 4 million in EBITDA, one mine, the strategy was to diversify away from one mine to get bigger, but do it in a way that actually added value. And I think the share price in August of, two, of 1998 was less than $5. So the fact that it's hit 100 sort of reinforces that strategy uh, worked. Um, so it's just stay focused and trying to make sure that we're uh, continue to be a high quality business. Thank you. Your next question comes from Anita Sony with CIBC. Your line is open. Hi. Good morning, everyone. Um, my question. Let's go back to uh, Canadian Malarctic and East Goldie. So. Um, I'm just wondering what kinds of, you know, I know it's very early stage and you're going to do a PFS and that's going to be out in uh, early uh, 2021. But if we're trying to figure out how to envision this um, uh, this opportunity here, um, what kind of tonnage would you be able to pull from an underground? Because you've got a 50,000 ton per day mill um, that you're going to be feeding into. Yeah, it's too early um, to really give some clarity on that. Um, but I think the reason that I think both Yaman and Igniko um, uh, there's two reasons I think um, it's sort of become elevated in terms of priority. Uh, mm -hmm. It was the ability to have multiple mining horizons now, when you include Odyssey, when you include the old East Malartic, um, and then you add East Goldie, which is uh, thicker and better grade. Uh, mm -hmm. What that ultimate number is, um, you know, it's too early to put a number out, we still need to do the work, but I, I think it's at a level which gives both Humanic Eco some comfort, and when you layer in the higher grade from East Goldie, you, you know, you, you potentially have a sizable opportunity here. So I think we have to be able to drill it. Um, I think the fact that we're starting the ramp this quarter is important. We had that permitted a while ago, uh, but it makes sense now to move that forward. Uh, that creates uh, an ability to drill it better. Um, but in, uh, in planning, uh, the exploration ramp uh, can easily be converted to a production ramp and ultimately lead a shaft. So we've got ore coming up from a ramp, ultimately, and a shaft. Um, when you think about the shaft, that's further down the line. Uh, you may have some impact in terms of production uh, before a shaft is completed. Uh, not that significant, helpful, but not that significant. Ultimately, you need uh, the shaft to augment uh, what's coming out of the ramp. So we'll provide more clarity uh, early uh, in 2021 on, on those types of uh, numbers. Okay, thank you. And then a question with regards to 2021 costs. So 
Second half of the year, we're guiding, you're guiding now to 740 to 690 on the cash cost range. And, you know, you can see that with the graphs that you've put out that you're, you're starting to hit those, uh, those kinds of number with higher production levels. So is that, uh, you know, is that a, an okay run rate to be using for um, next year, considering, you know, that production levels are similar, if not slightly higher? I think it's reasonable. Uh, we're still in the middle of our budgeting process, but I think it's reasonable. Okay, and then in terms of capital, I know you've said there's sort of an ongoing 500 to 700 million dollars um, that you know people should be using for their uh, combined uh, growth capital and uh, sustaining capital projections, and then you add exploration on top of that. Um, do you think that that continues to remain a valid assumption, or should we be, um, you know, sort of tweaking things in terms of the exploration with a higher gold price, or or um, yeah. you know some projects moving forward, accelerating some some spending? Yeah, I think the fact that uh, Kitsila starts to come down um, gives us some room to add things. Uh, next okay. year at Canadian Malartic, it's not that significant. It's the ramp, uh, which is not a, a totally big number. Um, so um, we'll move some things in there uh, to replace uh, things like Kitsila. So I think it's um, reasonable to assume we're at the higher end of that range at 700. Explorations mm -hmm. around 100. Uh, so I don't think that's unrealistic, but we still have to do the work, um, and that's part of the budget process, which concludes um, in November and December of this year. And uh, last question, because that's you know been the focus of questions from investors just uh, about the gold companies in general. Do you? Th I mean, is there any view to changing the gold price assumptions that you're using on your reserves uh, going into next year? Uh, not significantly, no. That's uh, always a healthy discussion. Uh, here, um, exploration, their bias is for more ounces, which they'd like a higher price, but our um, our operating teams have, have won that arm wrestling match for the last several years. And um, so the bias is knowing it's important to deliver on production and cost targets. Um, you need to stay conservative, we feel, um, as we calculate uh, reserve and resource. So the, the way our plan's laid out is to maintain reserves, you know, maybe increase them a bit without having to adjust uh, the gold price. We'll see how that all sort of unfolds over the next six months as we pick up drilling and try to make up for the meters we didn't get in Q2. Okay, and then just last comment, uh, congrats to Vaughn on, on making it out. And uh, I know you're still with us until the end of the year, but congratulations. And uh, to Dominique on his promotion. Yeah, thank you. And you didn't mention Amar, who's got more reports to him. And the fact yeah, that I'm not Amar, sure if I should. Uh, <laughs> congratulate yeah, that's okay. <laughs> no, that's okay because Amar has been wandering around the halls here for since he came back from Barrick a second time with nothing to do. So we yeah, figured, okay. you know what, well, we better we better give him something to do. Uh, okay. No, just kidding. I think everybody's earned um, their increasing responsibility. I think we're fortunate here that we have some pretty uh, deep bench strength. And uh, we've been very focused on, you know, how we bring along um, our younger people and give them different exposure and different uh, levels of responsibility. Uh, Dominic's a good example of that. He started as a summer student 20 plus years ago. Um, and so he's worked at a number of our operations in the Abitibi and Kitsila and Nunavut. So he's gone through uh, tech services, mine planning, and involvement strategy. Um, so I think we're fortunate, and uh, that's just part of a natural process that good companies do. They okay. develop people, 
and so we're lucky. But thanks for congratulating Yvonne. Yvonne really though, his focus, his wife beats him at golf all the time and he just couldn't take it anymore. So he said he needed to spend more time golfing. All right, thank you very much and congrats to Mar as well. Your next question comes from Carrie McCreary with Canaccord Genuity. Your line is open. Hi, good morning, Sean. Morning. morning. Maybe you just had a question on cash costs for the second half. Um, in terms of you've had the quick ramp up now back at Milladine and Americ, just wondering what we can expect on a cash cost front on those two operations. Yeah, Dominic. Yeah, for um, Middle Bank, it, that's going to decrease because uh, obviously the uh, the unit's going to decrease. Cash flow is going to be between 11 and 1200 for the second half at uh, Mil at uh, Middle Bank. And uh, Milledean is going to be in the 650-ish uh, around that for the second half. This is what we what we forecast for now. And then maybe you know, there's been a lot of questions around um, the Malartic underground. But do you envision that you know this operation will be concurrent with the open pit, or really it's sort of a post open pit? Yeah, that yeah, that's a that's a tough one now um, because of the need for a shaft. And so the timeline um, is uh, very much a focus, um, but um, you can see how we manage the timeline in Nunavut. We didn't sort of uh, uh, go, go too fast. We wanted to make sure that we were careful with respect to the timeline. So uh, we don't wanna have to speed up. If there's a gap, there's a gap uh, because the underground could be around for 10 to 20 years. So we got to make sure we get all the right infrastructure in place uh, in the right um, in the right time frame. So, so in the event of a, in the event event of an underground only scenario, can you just reconfigure the mills or to operate at a lower level? Is that yes, that's potential thinking? Yeah. Yes, we can. Yeah. Okay. Great. That's it for me. Thanks. Again, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star one. Your next question comes from Tanya. Jakuskinik with Scotiabank. Your line is open. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, I'm going to ask, I think, a question to the technical team. Uh, so I don't know who wants to take it, Yvonne, Dominic, Amar. Um, what do you guys need to see um, at Amaruk to start on the underground again? Well, the, the development uh, restarted. Uh, we continue to do the ramp. Uh, the underground is an opportunity which is a higher grade uh, that we could add uh, with the with the open pit. Uh, underground alone is not a project, but on top uh, of the, the or with the pit, it is a project. So we're still uh, doing uh, the study on that uh, to finalize uh, our numbers, uh, and we're going to provide information uh, beginning next year uh, about uh, the result of that. And then how ultimately it fits into the mine plan? Uh, how it sorry, what's the question? Yes, yeah. how it fits into the mine plan. We will have more details on 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 a more of a, a mine plan in February of next year. Yeah, yeah that's going to be integrated. Um, uh, again, the underground could be uh, as long as we have open pits, so uh, should uh, we should be able to to have answers starting in 2022, uh, going to the end of the life of mine uh, that we have right now, uh, 2027. 20, okay. Okay, more to come there. Okay, and then maybe Sean, just for you, I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at, you know, the, 
your 400 to 480 to 500,000 ounces uh, per quarter coming through second half of the year and into next year. And you know, you choose a gold price, but you look like you're you're going to be generating a lot of cash flow, and then you you know deduct that 700 million of you know free ca- of capex, and you know um, I think the, the debt repayment is is minimal. Um, you know, you're going to generate quite a bit of, 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 you know, really free cash flow or unallocated free cash flow. Can you talk a little bit about how you see that and your priorities for that and what minimum cash balance you're, you're going to keep on, on the balance sheet so that we can have an idea of, of where we can go with this dividend? Yeah, um, I'll just start with the, um, the allocation of the free cash flow. Dave can talk about sort of the strategy and thinking around uh, the balance sheet. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that um, our current dividend at 80 cents, which is around uh, $200 million a year, based on where the gold price is now, we can certainly pay more and a lot more. And the propensity and the track record is to pay more. So that's certainly something we're looking at now. Um, now that we've come through the impacts of the virus on the operations in Q2 and we're heading into a stronger period of production and cash generation, so that'll certainly be a priority. We'll continue to work the project pipeline, exploration's a focus uh, for us. Um, I think the Canadian Malarctic Underground has sort of uh, moved up the ladder in terms of priorities, uh, so that's a focus, but that doesn't chew up a lot of cash next year. It's more when we decide uh, to go with a shaft, so we're, we need to make room for that as we look at it. Um, uh, certainly part of it will be increasing our financial flexibility. Uh, I think this is a period where the gold industry will find itself with a lot of cash like it did back in the late 70s and in 1980 when gold went from sub-50 to $800. We certainly have that uh, potential now. And um, our debt repayment, as you mentioned, there isn't anything until 2022, so we're going to sort of build up a bunch of flexibility. but. I'll let Dave talk about uh, some of his thoughts on on that. Yeah, so Tanya, as you may know, we used to carry a minimum balance of about $100 million of cash for working capital purposes. I think given the virus and all the uncertainty related to that, it's probably prudent to carry more than that, at least in the near term. So I would think that we would be more like 150 to 200 million of cash as a minimum balance just due to that uncertainty. But as Sean was saying, uh, starting basically now, we expect to start generating strong net free cash flow. And I think you're going to see our cash balance start to grow very quickly, especially next year, which leads us, of course, to the uh, fund problems of what are you going to do with all the money? And Sean already talked about increasing the dividend. So I, I think we're probably going to have the opportunity to do that. Again, near term, uh, we'll carry more cash. I think longer term, uh, we're a bigger company than we used to be, so maybe we will carry a little bit more cash for working capital purposes. So let's just round off my answer at about $150 million minimum. Okay. okay. Um, so we've got that, you know, $100 million of expiration, which Sean had mentioned, um, you know, going through. We've got that $700 million or, or thereabouts of the, you know, uh, CapEx. Um, really not much in terms of debt repayment and anything in excess of you know 150 million or thereabout in the balance sheet could potentially go to um, dividends. 
Uh, yeah, theoretically. Um, it's just how we uh, uh, split it up. And um, I, I, I just think that um, it's not all going to go to dividends. I think I we'll, appreciate we'll, that, have, yeah. we'll have a bigger cushion on the balance sheet. But uh, I think our track record of 37 years and the fact that uh, we didn't eliminate it when others did a few years back, and we were the first to actually start it up again and increase it, and it's gone up in six of the last, and uh, in, in each of the last six years, um, I think sort of demonstrates our mindset around dividends. So it kind of means it's going up, but uh, it's not really up to the board, and we'll have those discussions uh, around the Q3 results. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tanya. There are no further questions at this time. I turn the call back to the presenter for any closing remarks. Uh, thank you, operator. Uh, thank you, everyone. Thanks for your attention. If there's any follow-up questions, uh, uh, feel free to contact us. Thanks again. Bye. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.